Hey everybody, this is Reagan Lopez and you're listening to Unidentify. Today I'm talking to comic artist and writer Steph Falkowski. Yeah, so I identify myself as first and foremost Brazilian. Um, and then I also see myself as Latina, um, you know, a white Latina, uh, also a DACA recipient. I feel like that's been a huge part of my identity for the past 10 years now, almost. Um, DACA, I think, passed, um, or I received it about 10 years ago in 2012. So that has definitely impacted um, a lot of my identity and, um, you know, especially going through college and, and getting a, a you know, starting my career that that has been has had a huge impact. Um, how much or where are you from? Um, and like, when did you come to the United States? So you're from Brazil, but when did you come here? Yeah, so I'm from the southern part of Brazil. People always ask me, are you from Rio, Sao Paulo? No, um, it's from the, the very southern part of Brazil, a place called Porto Alegre. And then I spent uh, most of my childhood in Brazil in a city called Florianópolis. And then my family, we moved here. Uh, so just my mom, my dad, and my brother, just the four of us, we moved here in 2001. Um, so we actually just celebrated our 20th uh, year in America this past January. Um, so it's been a long time. Uh, I was eight years old when I moved out here. So I was very little and I was able to benefit from being so young and being able to pick up the language so easily. Uh, pick up the culture uh, so easily. Um, so yeah, and I guess I, you know, could tell you a little bit about why my my family decided to move to America. Sure. Um, so my parents, you know, in in my in my eyes, I feel like they they did all the right things. You know, they they studied, they went to college, they started their careers. They were both high school teachers, um, but they're just you know, jobs were, were hard to come by. My, my dad, uh, you know, struggled with, with finding a teaching job. My mom was working like double shifts at her school and it just wasn't enough to, to support the family. And my mom had an opportunity to visit the United States and she saw that there was opportunity here and she, you know, knew that she, they needed to do, uh, provide for the family. They wanted to give my brother and I, um, opportunities that just didn't exist in Brazil, um, I guess. So they literally packed everything up. We moved over here with not a whole lot of money, stayed at some friend's house until we could kind of figure everything out. But it was definitely for for economic reasons that we uh, left Brazil and um, I haven't been back since. Yeah, for anyone listening, I do know it's very difficult to become a teacher in Brazil. There's um, a lot of tests that are apparently very hard um, and it's all through the government, correct? Uh, a lot of jobs are. So my mom actually had a pretty good job at a, a Catholic school and it was the one that my brother and I attended. Um, so she was, you know, providing for us while my, my dad was looking for jobs and that just, it was really, really tough. It was a bad overall economic climate um so yeah I, you know she just saw america as the land of opportunity and decided to to move us over here and where did you guys settle so we ended up settling in central massachusetts in a city called worcester worcester massachusetts it's about uh like an hour drive out of boston 
Uh, not a whole lot of exciting things going on there, um, but I did get to see snow for the first time. That was really exciting. Uh, you know, coming to America as a little kid, it was it was wild, you know, because in Brazil, like everything is so expensive. And, you know, we we saw all the same toys that American kids did, but we could never afford any of them. So I remember the first thing uh, I got at the toy store in America was a Furby, which in Brazil would cost like a ridiculous amount of money. But I think we got one for like nine bucks at the store. And I just thought that was the best thing ever. <laughs> Um, were there a lot of, uh, a lot or any uh, Latino people um, where you lived in Massachusetts? Yeah, so actually the Worcester, Massachusetts is a pretty diverse city. Um, so there was a, a pretty big Brazilian community. There was a pretty uh, big Hispanic community. Um, so that was, you know, helpful in, uh, you know, kind of finding our people and community um, at the time. Um, but yeah, I think even even when you do find community, it's it's still such a strange and, and tough and challenging process to assimilate and to uh, find your new normal in a in a new country. I was very lucky that I went through it as a little kid, and you know it's a lot easier for I think a little kid to to go through that. But sometimes now that I'm older, I try to imagine how it was like for my parents. And it just makes me appreciate their sacrifice so much more because, you know, I, I can't imagine doing that as an adult, doing that as a parent, doing that as a parent who is struggling to find a better life for, for their kids. So my, my appreciation for my parents is, it's immeasurable. It, it's, it's beyond it, you know, words that I can express. So did you know, like, were you aware of um, being undocumented or was it something that you didn't realize until you were older? Because I know we spoke before that um, my husband's parents were, he was born in the U.S., but he didn't know that his parents were until he applied for FAFSA. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, 18 years they yeah. were undocumented and he had no idea. Yeah, that's a great question. I was always hyper aware of my immigration status from like the moment we landed in America. Um, my mom made it very clear to us what was going to happen. So we came to the United States with tourist visas and we overstayed. Mm -hmm. And from those very first, very cold days in January of 2001, when we got here, um, she would have conversations with us about how our immigration status was going to be something that we had to be very, very private and, you know, somewhat secretive about. It was never something that we were supposed to talk about. You know, how parents will usually have the conversation with their kids about, you know, don't take candy from strangers, don't don't get in the car, don't get in a weird van, right? And my mom, on top of those, it was don't talk to anybody about your immigration status, right? Like always deflect, deflect. Um, so I was always very hyper aware. I knew that, um, that that would make our lives a little bit more difficult, that certain opportunities wouldn't be available to me. Um, it also 
you know, I, I knew about, uh, I know what, I knew what de deportation meant. I knew that we had to um, kind of live in the shadows so that we wouldn't be detected or, you know, sent back to, to Brazil without, you know, arrangements and, and whatever. ICE was something I became very familiar with from a young age. Thankfully, you know, the circumstances that I lived through, we never had any scares or, you know, anything that traumatizing. But I think the whole idea of growing up as a little kid with this notion of never being able to fully express my identity was, um, yeah, it definitely imp impacted me a lot. And that became clearer and clearer or, you know, more apparent as I went through high school. Um, and so when my friends started turning 16 and they were getting driver's license, I had to all of a sudden, you know, come up with an excuse as to why I couldn't get a driver's license because, you know, you, you can't, at least um, in Massachusetts at that time, you, you weren't undocumented immigrants were not eligible for a driver's license. Um, not sure if they are now. I think some states like New York are, um, you know, making that a possibility, but at the time it was very much not. And so, yeah, I had to learn to come up with excuses to basically lie to my friends because again, I was not supposed to talk about my immigration status. That was off limits. That was a secret. That was not something I could share. So that's when it started becoming more apparent. It became very, um, it became a, a bigger issue senior year of, of high school when all of a sudden we have to start thinking about college. And um, back in 2010, 2011, when I was um, starting the college application process, at least in my experience in my high school, there weren't a lot of resources for undocumented students. And I also didn't feel comfortable coming out as undocumented to um, my teachers, to my guidance counselors. And so it was a process that I kind of had to go through somewhat alone um, because one, my parents had never applied for college in the United States. They both went to college in Brazil, but the United States is a, a whole different ballgame when it comes to applying to college. So in that sense, I, I didn't have that um, support. I mean, of course, they were very supportive of me going to college, but they didn't have that experience to kind of help me guide through through it. And then I also having the added uh, level of being undocumented and not qualifying for FAFSA for financial aid mm -hmm. for certain, you know most scholarships that was scary it was really yeah. scary because it made my future very uncertain and I was always somebody who worked really really hard in high school I was on a roll like straight A AP classes kid and I obviously dreamt of of going to college um, right after high school so it was it was really scary. Um, eventually, everything kind of you know worked out. I I did get into a private school and I was able to get a merit scholarship, which um, your immigration status is not affected or doesn't impact that. But what's interesting, I did have to go to college as a an international student, um, even oh. though. Yes, even though I, I grew up in America, I had to go to college as an international student. Some schools I didn't get into because as an international student, I had to take the TOEFL test, I think is called it. It's mm -hmm. what the English as a second language yeah. test. 
And I had no idea I had to take that. I, I grew up here. Why would I have to take an English as yeah. a second language test? So I ended up not getting to a few schools because that was a requirement for an international students. I'm really happy to see that a lot of schools are um, kind of changing the, the requirements for and, and recognizing undocumented students. So it's a little bit different now. And I'm really happy to see that because it definitely, uh, you know, just added a layer of difficulty that the, the whole college process is already so difficult, right? So adding yeah. that layer um, is hard. Yeah. Um, speaking of language, since you brought that up, um, how much of like being aware of your status growing up um, was a catalyst to you learning very good English because um, that was something I noticed we're newer friends and I um, you have a very like Eastern European sounding name so I wouldn't have guessed that you were Latino um, and you speak very very good English and like my husband uh, he has an accent and you don't have an accent um, and that was um a very striking thing to me meeting mm -hmm. you and learning that you were Latino. Yeah, I like I said, I think I was very lucky to come to America at the age that I did because it just made assimilating and learning the language and the culture so much easier. Um, like my parents, you know, still struggle with the language. Um, I have an older brother. He speaks also really good English, slight accent because he's a little bit older than me. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm not so sure about like my pronunciation. I feel like sometimes I still struggle with, uh, you know, like I, I, I don't feel like I'm the most eloquent speaker, um, but I do think that I worked really hard to become a good writer in English and I just gravitated towards that. And I always, always found that to be a little bit interesting because English was not my first language, but I fell so much in love with the language and I connect with it so much. And I, I love expressing myself in English. I actually have a hard time expressing myself in Portuguese, which is my main language. And that that's very frustrating. And um, I would say that my Portuguese, so I left when I was eight, is still at like an eight-year-old's level. So, you know, I'm almost in my 30s and I'm trying to have these uh, important conversations with adults who speak Portuguese or, you know, my parents. And I, I'm still struggling to come up with, with my, putting my thoughts together or finding the right words because I left when I was eight. And unfortunately, I, my Portuguese didn't progress much further. I mean, obviously, like I'm fluent and I can read and write, but um, I do struggle with expressing myself in Portuguese and I'm very thankful that I have English um, that I, I'm able to do that with the English language. Yeah, that is really interesting that you because you know a lot of people that are learning English think it's a very like um, dumb language with weird rules. So that's that is an interesting um, thing. Yeah. Um, were you ever growing up, um, did you ever feel like you had to not only like hide your status, but also um, hide your, since we said like your your name is not necessarily what um, someone from America would think of as being Brazilian. Um, and you have 
a non-stereotypical um, Brazilian look. Um, were you, did you ever feel like you had to also hide the fact that you were Brazilian? Mm-hmm. I never felt like I had to hide the fact that I was Brazilian. I think, you know, my, my European name, my look always added layers to um, how I shared who I was with people. So I uh, often when people meet me and I tell them that I'm from Brazil, there's, they're always like, really? Uh, really? Are you sure? And I'm like, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm sure. I, I have a Brazilian birth certificate. I can show you my passport, I'm, I'm sure. Um, but it's always funny, you know, the, the kind of, I feel like they're, they're, people's gears start to churn a little bit. They're trying to under, put me in a, in a neat category. Mm-hmm. Um, I've experienced that a lot where I tell them who I am, what I am, and then they're like very confused. And I usually get the response of like, oh, so you're 50% Brazilian, you're half Brazilian. Right. I'm like, no, I'm fully Brazilian. I'm Brazilian. That's your nationality. Yeah. Right. (laughs) And then I often feel like I have to give people a little bit of a history lesson Mm -hmm. when I'm I'm trying to explain my identity. Um, So my my last name is Polish, Falkowski. Um, And, you know, people families immigrated to Brazil just as much as they immigrated to the United States, you know, at whatever point in history. Um, So that's where I get my last name from. Um, And then people are confused by my face, I guess. Uh, I've I've gotten a lot that I'm uh, Asian, half Asian. Uh, Sometimes people think that I'm mixed with Spanish, Asian, you know, whatever and those all sound great I'm you know cool uh but I I do like to remind people that we you know Latinos Brazilians we we don't all look the same and that has a lot to do with the history of migration and um it's not a race right it's not a race um yeah, I was going to say when I met you, I also was like, oh, sh- you look like you could be part Asian. And when you said you're from Brazil, I was like, oh, that makes sense because I know they have a very large Japanese population in Brazil. Mm-hmm. And then it happens that you are not Asian. So, um, you know. As far as I know, I am not. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it, I think as Americans, there is, um, there is an idea that a lot of us have, and like I was guilty of it probably until a few years ago, that America is very diverse and other places are not very diverse. And so when we see someone that's like, oh, um, I'm from Brazil, but I have this look that people think I could be Asian um, or half or, you know, this or that, it's confusing because we don't think that there could be European people in Brazil or, um, you know, I mean, I think now there's a, a, a big knowledge of uh, there being a lot of Afro-Latino people, but, but, you know, I think when people think of like diverse countries, for some reason, they always think of, oh, the U.S. is really diverse. Oh, England is really diverse. And it's like, well, like 
a lot of other countries are really diverse and maybe their diversity is not at the same percentage or whatever that it is here. But um, there's just a very strong misconception about that. And I think it especially is true in um, Latin America, obviously, because there's there's indigenous people and black people and Asian people and white people and, you know, everything under the sun. But that that's a very interesting thing that I have learned a lot about over the past couple of years, just being in New York City and meeting um, Latino people that are from all XYZ backgrounds. Um, but yeah. yeah, anyway, that, that's a, it's, it's a weird thing. Um, I like that you said that people are confused by your face because I think that's something that a lot of us who are um, mixed, um, culturally and stuff we we feel like that I I feel like that people are confused by my name and my face and things don't match up Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that can be true also um, with your voice and your language and all of these things that it's confusing and like why is it confusing because it makes perfect sense to me (laughs) you know like we're not confused about like how um, we grew up and how we were raised um so that's just like that's something that I struggle with like still of yeah Yeah, I mean it's been my experience that in America I find that you know sometimes people want to put people and not just Latinos you know all sorts of different backgrounds um we want to put people in neat categories in in neat little boxes. Uh, I remember I had an experience where um, I did journalism camp when I was in high school and um, we were talking to a, uh, a, I think a a journalist who who did a lot of, looked at a lot of data and a lot of demographic data. And he talked about, you know, in forms, there's, you can check off that you're you're white. And then the other box is, Latino slash Hispanic. And, you know, I always check off the Latino slash Hispanic, but also the white. Mm-hmm. And, Same. Um, I want to be accurate, right? Exactly. And yeah. I remember raising my hand and explain and, you know, bringing up the question, like I'm, I'm Brazilian and I feel like I identify with multiple boxes. And I specifically remember him saying like, oh yeah, you Brazilians give us a hard time when it comes to, you know, like putting us in the right category, demographic. And I was like, oh yeah, I I guess. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like, what are they going to do? And like, there's something I saw in National Geographic that's like in 50 years, the U.S. is going to be like this diverse and like people are going to be like, you know, so much percentage um, mixed and what are they going to do in 50 years when everyone is, is one, two, three, four things, you know? Um, Yeah, that's definitely, that's definitely something that I identify with too, of just wanting to be accurate and Mm -hmm. just wanting to, to, to be truthful, you know? Oh, absolutely. Um, I know you said that you're like first and foremost Brazilian. Do you identify as being American? And like, if you don't, do you ever think there's a point where you will? So I, that, that's a good question. That's one that I, I think about 
often or I, you know I feel like I have to think about you know every now and then um I like to think of myself as American in every way except unfortunately on paper right now I am not mm -hmm. um but you know I, I did grow up here I've, I've been here since I was eight years old so much of my my life and my the experiences that I've gone through have been very American um so yeah, I do consider myself American. I don't think I would ever think of myself as, you know, Brazilian American or mm -hmm. I wouldn't um, like hyphenate my identity. I think I can be both separately, but at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, hopefully that makes sense. Yeah, that, that makes sense to me. I think, I think a lot of people that, um, and I see this with my husband's family and with my um, family, my side that's Mexican. Um, a lot of people don't want to identify as, you know, one or the other. Um, but I think there's a lot of power in what you're saying. Like I am Brazilian and I am American and they can be mutually exclusive without, um, being the same thing. Uh, I think there's a lot of power, especially with what's going on I mean what's been going on forever um with racism in the country I think all of the people that are American are American and the more power like you have in saying that the less power that racists have against you <laughs> in in a you know in a small way but um yeah, yeah I think it can be very em empowering, but it can also be very um, isolating sometimes. Mm -hmm. Empowering because you feel like you, you can belong to these two cultures or you live in these, you can live in these two worlds. Mm -hmm. um, you can, um, you know, exist in these two, two cultures. But at the same time, sometimes it feels like you're never enough for either of them. Mm -hmm. So you know, with, with my Brazilian identity, like I said, I, I struggle with the language sometimes. And I do feel pretty removed from that culture because I haven't been able to um, stay so close to my roots because I couldn't go back to Brazil. Yeah. I haven't been able to go back to Brazil since 2001 because of my immigration status. Mm -hmm. um, so there's definitely some alienation there. And then with being American, you know, I'm sure a lot of people who, you know, are a little xenophobic or a little racist might not think of me <laughs> as American because I wasn't born here because I don't have the right paper mm -hmm. or immigration status. I don't care about their opinion. Um, you know, I, I know that I belong in this country. I know that I'm, um, I do good here and I've, I've, I belong here. Um, but at the same time, there is always that little voice in your head of I am not fully American you know I don't have American citizenship I can't vote you know I can't participate in certain things that that make you uh fully American um so, so those things can be a little alienating sometimes um so on that what does because I know they recently passed the house, I believe, the yeah. DACA measures. Um, so it hasn't been signed in yet, um, but it's hopefully gonna get signed in soon. 
Um, tell me like what that means to you, like how much um, DACA can um, change your day-to-day life. Um, you know, one of the things is like you haven't, I assume you haven't left the country at all, correct? Yeah, no, I- so, you know, that's obviously one thing of being able to travel, but how will DACA um, affect you and not just like immediately, but like down the line, like how how is that gonna change your life? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I will say that DACA has already tremendously changed my life in 2012 when um, Obama signed the executive order. Uh, I'll always remember that day I got a text message from my mom who said that Obama was passing this thing and you know I was working this like shitty waitressing job. I had started college and I was very uncertain about what my future was going to look like. I didn't know if after I graduated college that I, if I would be able to get a job, which is a really scary thing for a young person to have to, to deal with. You know, you're working towards having a degree and, you, and you're spending money and you're putting in a lot of effort and you have no clue if you're going to be able to have a job and provide for yourself. That's, that's mm-hmm. terrifying. Um, but, you know, from that day on, it just, it gave me so much hope and just security, right? That I could could get a job, that I could provide for myself, that I could have a life, a meaningful life here in this country and, and pursue my dreams of having a career and, you know, all the normal things that people take for granted, right? Um, so yeah, it's been an interesting 10 years with DACA, um, particularly uh, things got a little hairy there when Trump <laughs> took office. <laughs> and uh, in 2016 or in 2017, that's another day I'll never forget in September of 2017 when the Trump administration rescinded DACA. Um, I remember what I was wearing. I remember who I was with. It was a really, it was, it was a dark day. It sucked. It you know, I was very unsure of what was going to happen because there weren't, I mean, we all remember what the Trump administration was like. He, they threw shit at the wall and you never knew how it was going to land. And um, so I, I wasn't sure if like some people were saying we would be deported. Other people were saying that, you know, we would lose our work permit. So it was just like a lot of uncertainty um, and just an overall bad time to be an immigrant in this country because there was a lot of heightened xenophobia and racism and you didn't sometimes you didn't know who to trust because you know friends family voted for for Trump and um, it always felt like it almost it almost felt like a personal attack you know when you found out that somebody somewhat close to you voted for for Trump because Mm -hmm. um, they voted for somebody knowing that what his stances were on certain things, right? Like we can, we can disagree on a lot of things, but when your opinion um, oppresses another group of people, then, you know, I, there is no agreement or middle ground to be found. Right. Mm -hmm. So that was definitely really tough. Um, But thankfully, you know, DACA has been protected um, under the law. And yeah, just the other week, the House passed, um, I believe it's the the Dream and, and Promise Act. Um, and hopefully the Senate also um, votes yes on that. And then that would mean that the Dreamers would have a 
uh, we would get our legal uh, residency and then a pathway to citizenship, which that has been the thing that we have been denied for, for 20 years since the DREAM Act was first um, brought to, to Congress. So that I, I, I'm, I'm really hoping that that passes, that would really um, be life-changing. Um, I really want to uh, go to Brazil soon and, and see my family and, and reconnect with, you know, the, the country where I was born in. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I have family that I haven't seen in, in 20 years. And that's yeah. really, it's tough. It's something that I, I wanna be able to explore in my lifetime. Um, and hopefully, you know, we're the closest we've ever been to, to the DREAM Act passing, and I'm really hopeful. I'm not holding my breath, though, because I have been disappointed by the American Congress before. And <laughs> <laughs> every day. <laughs> yeah. And so living your life, you know, waiting for the for for politicians to come through for you, it's it's really exhausting. I went through a period of, you know, being hyper fixated on the news because, you know, I, I, I was living life worried that a Trump tweet would change my life that, you know, yeah. say, all the dreamers have to leave right now. Like, can you imagine getting that, that tweet? I, I had nightmares yeah. about that. That was though. Yeah. That just sucked. Yeah, the fact that tweets were were executive orders at one point, even. But yeah, that's really scary. Have um, you ever considered? I mean, I I'm gonna say I hope not. But um, have you ever considered? I, because living in New York, you meet a lot of people that do a lot of, and not just in New York, other places. But you hear about it a lot in New York. Um, people do things to become citizens um green card marriages that it's it happens a lot more than I think people think yeah um, have you ever considered that or possibly even I mean other things that people do like having a baby um what like were those things like ever a consideration for you or it was just like no like I'm was never you know, maybe you're at that age now to consider those, but like, you know, it was never that dire. Yeah. So that's an interesting one for me. So I always grew up uh, knowing that marriage was one option for me to get my green card. And for me, it was always a, a shitty thing to grow up thinking Mm -hmm. because it's not like I'm a hopeless romantic that wants to find my prince and fall in love and have marriage you know just be this magical princess thing but it felt weird going into relationships wanting them to work out so that I could eventually get married and have a green card that's yeah. a lot of pressure to put on yourself in a relationship and so I always resisted the idea of uh, of talking about marriage uh, with with my boyfriends mm -hmm. because I never wanted any of them to think that I would 
that I wanted to marry them so that I could get a green card. Even when I wanted to marry them for love and, you know, for the normal reasons that people get married, I, it was something that I was really hesitant about because I never wanted somebody to think that I was using them like that. And that's, that's just me. I mean, I, I, I'm very familiar with the concept of getting married for a green card. And if that works out for people, that's, that's fine. No judgment there, but I, I never wanted to, I also never wanted to need a man for a green card. So yeah. I always struggled with that because. It's a lot of power that someone can have over you. Yes, absolutely. And it just, it, it's been, it, it was a shitty thing to grow up thinking and it, it has made some relationships harder or, you know, having, I was always, always very open about my immigration status with um, my, you know, former partners, but I was never open and fully honest about my fears and personal qualms about uh, marriage and green cards. Mm -hmm. Do you think that you will get married eventually or is that something that you're going to hold off on until you have um you know an assurance that you can get citizenship on your own um yeah I mean I I see myself getting married in the future I just you know I, I don't want to tie marriage to a, a green card necessarily mm-hmm. um but yeah, I don't know. I, I see myself getting married, but it, it, that's regardless of a, of a green card. Yeah. You know, now more than ever, I feel like I will be able to get a green card without a marriage, which is, has been such a liberating feeling, um, mm-hmm. you know, not feeling like I have to find a man to get a green card. Yeah. Do your um, parents have a pathway to citizenship or is that something that's, or are, are they residents or citizens already? Yeah, so I feel very fortunate that my parents actually were able to get their green cards through my brother. Um, so my okay. brother my brother got married um, years ago and he was able to get his green card that way. And then he joined um, the army and the army speeds up your citizenship. And so he was able to apply for my parents. And this was right before the Trump administration. So mm-hmm. I'm very grateful that they got their you know, papers in order so that I at least didn't have to worry about my mom and my dad and my brother um, mm-hmm. during the Trump administration. But it's also like very ironic that I'm the last one that- Okay, so you're the youngest and you're the last one. Um, Is that like alienating for you? Like within your family at at all? I mean, I'm sure they've traveled, right? Yeah, my my mom goes back to Brazil to to see her family, which, you know, very thankful for that. Um, Alienating, I I would say yes. but again, it, you know, I'm mostly just very, very grateful that yeah. they're protected and they don't have to worry about that. But I do find it ironic, you know, mm-hmm. more than anything, because I'm out of the four of us, I am the most American, I would say, and yeah. least American on paper. 
Yeah, talk talk about a an identity twist. That's yeah. that's definitely true. Yeah, it is so interesting. Um, is there anything that you know happens in your day to day life that not necessarily like DACA, but just like your identity as being someone from uh, that that's not um, that's from a different country? Uh, is there anything that comes up as being a benefit or a what's the opposite of benefit challenge <laughs> challenge thank you <laughs> talk about who's not eloquent at speaking right here me um <laughs> uh I'll edit that maybe yeah is there anything like in your day-to-day that has been a a benefit or a challenge due to your being Brazilian um Mm, let's see I mean I I've definitely always viewed being um from a different country as you know definitely comes with this challenges especially because of my immigration status but I do see it as a huge advantage you know one I'm bilingual two it's given me perspective you know I'm I feel like I'm able to um understand where a lot of different people are coming from because I have had these experiences I think it's made me a much more empathetic person because I've had these challenges Um, and because I've met people who have had similar experiences. So I I do think it's made me a a way more empathetic person. It's made me care about the status of our country and, you know, who we elect because I, from a, from a firsthand experience, know that votes have consequences and the, the people that we, um, elect to office, um, have power over our lives and you know they're able to impact our daily lives and so I've been very um, just cognizant of of those things again I I can't vote which that feels really um, isolating sometimes that I don't have a a voice in the political system but um, you know I am able to have honest conversations with with my friends and whoever wants to listen, really, I, like I, I said, I, for so many years, we had to live in the shadows and we, I couldn't talk about who I was and my experiences as an undocu- undocumented immigrant. And now that I feel like I can, I want to be the friend who, um, you know, not, not everybody knows an undocumented person or who's had a similar experience. And if I can be that voice for, for anybody, um, I, I want to be that. I, I, I don't want to hide anymore. I, I want to be honest and let people know that, you know, we, we go through these things and um, we're here. Mm-hmm. Are there any like extra things that you have to do because of your status? Like I've heard, you know, some people keep really um, detailed files, um, you know, keeping all receipts and that kind of thing. Or are there any like things like that that you have to do like because of your status just in case or, um, you know, to Mm -hmm. make you look 
good or, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is just growing up. I always had to help my parents with like so much paperwork and, you know, because I picked up the language better, I, you know, as like a 10 year old, I was making phone calls to banks and to doctors and to, you know, translating really serious, important stuff that normally like a, a child wouldn't, wouldn't even imagine or ever have to look at. So that's, I think, I, you know, I, I've, I've heard that other friends have had sim- similar experiences. So I, I think that's pretty common, a pretty mm-hmm. common immigrant experience. Um, other than that, I have to apply for DACA every two years, um, which, you know, thankfully I can, but it's, it's just another reminder of my, my not, not full American identity, right? Because if I were fully American, I wouldn't have to be checking in with, uh, immigration services every two years. I wouldn't be giving them my fingerprint every two years. Um, so things, things like that. Do you, uh, just cause this is for myself because I don't know, um, how do you get your passport renewed like at the embassy or since obviously you're not able to leave um yeah they're at the brazilian consulate or embassy yeah which you know i've had interesting experiences doing that because i just i remember last time i did it being so frustrated because you know one it was this big chore and you know it's you know who who likes to go into the office into an office Mm -hmm. to renew passports and documents it's just a shitty experience and I remember just being so frustrated having to renew this passport that I wasn't going to ever using. And in Brazil, when you, um, uh, when you're of age, when you're 18, uh, you have to do all these certain things like voting is mandatory and I've never voted in Brazil. So I have to pay a fine and it's, I have to like do all these things. And I was so frustrated because like I can't vote here. I haven't voted there because I'm I'm not as connected. And like now I'm like dealing with these, with these things that are you I don't have know. control over them exactly. And I I should be better I guess about those things. But I don't think of myself as you know an active Brazilian citizen because I'm here. Yeah. It was just frustrating because, you know, I want to vote in America, but I, you know, I'm forced still to do all these things for my Brazilian citizenship that I, I don't, I'm not involved in. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of a messy thought process. And then another question for me, um, how does it work with getting work? Like how easy or hard it, is it like, did you find that there were places that wouldn't even consider you because of this? Or mm-hmm. is it, you know, you have your your um, permit or I don't know what it is. Yeah, yeah so permit. I have a work permit now. Um, so before DACA, um, I did, I, I mentioned that I did this journalism camp and um, I was a senior in high school, about to graduate high school. And from the journalism camp, I was offered an internship at the Boston Globe. And like, that was a dream come true for me. Huge. That's a huge, huge newspaper where I grew up. And at the time I was, you know, dreaming of becoming a journalist. And 
my heart just sank because I knew that I wasn't going to be able to follow through with it because of my immigration status. Uh, at the time, I didn't have a work permit. And I remember um, emailing back and forth um, the people and, you know, I explained to them my immigration status. And I distinctly remember one of them saying, this is not something that the Boston Globe will want to deal with. And I was like, okay, thank you for the opportunity. And I had to, I had to accept that there was no way around it. Um, and then I think fast forward a year or two, DACA passed, and I went back to that person and asked them if um, they would consider me again because now I had a work permit. And I did end up getting the internship. And oh yay! Yeah, I you know <laughs> got to to do that for a year. So I'm I'm glad that you know I still had that connection. But that was a really, really heartbreaking experience. Um, but yeah. since then, since getting DACA, it opened up so many doors. I, I could apply for, for any kind, kinds of jobs. And I will say that I'm, I recognize my privilege in having, you know, the European sounding name, the, the white sounding name, because yeah. I've never had any issues with uh, applying for jobs, getting interviews. Um, so I, I definitely recognize that. Um, I know just, you know, from talking with other uh, immigrants or people in similar situations that they do have a hard time. And I know some companies can be harder um, on candidates who need work permits. Um, so I know that that's an issue. And I thankfully, I haven't experienced that very much. Yeah, that's a really good point about your name, because maybe some people, I mean, I'm sure they see it once they see like paperwork, but maybe they don't think you're from Brazil and they think you're European or something. And yeah, I don't think anybody, you know, after like they see my resume, I come in for an interview. I, I, nobody has ever questioned my immigration status. And it's something wow. that I always have to bring up like, hey, here's my work permit because uh you know, I know that they'll get fined if they don't have. Yeah. The wow. That's so crazy. Um, okay. I'll just like end off with like one kind of silly question. Um, when you get your citizenship, your residency, um, and then your citizenship, which hopefully will be soon. Um, what's like the first place you're going to go after Brazil? Oh man, I don't, that's a good question. I definitely, I've always dreamt of going to Europe. So <laughs> I, somewhere, somewhere in Europe, honestly, I could just like close my eyes and kind of <laughs> move my finger around and wherever it lands, that's where I'll go. That's awesome. Yeah. But definitely Brazil first. I, I definitely want to see my family and, and reconnect with the country. Yeah, that's, it's going to be great. I, it's going to happen for you. Yeah. It's going to happen soon. Um, we're gonna be hopeful and confident. And I'm definitely throwing a party the second I hear that <laughs> passes. So you're invited, please come. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I think there's gonna be a party in the street. Yeah. It's 20 years in the making, so. Yeah.